Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Neil Ellison. Good morning. If you have tuned in to KPC uh, recently and been used to hearing uh, Dr. Benjamin speak, uh, he was kind enough to ask me to fill in for him this morning. Uh, <clears throat> he has been struggling with a sinus infection. Uh, he has been to a doctor. He does not have the virus. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, we've all been praying for him, and I ask that you continue to pray for him and for God's healing. But this morning, uh, I'll be uh, bringing a message from God's Word. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Neil Ellison. I'm the Congregational Care Pastor here at KPC. And so let's uh, start with just a word of prayer. Lord, we come to you this day to hear, to learn, to draw closer to you, to worship you. And we pray, Lord, for this time that your spirit will be upon us, Lord, and give us ears to hear. Lord, we pray, too, that um, you will be in our midst, Lord, and bless us with your presence. And may it be all to your glory. I wanted to take this time just to kind of reflect and take a moment to see where we are. We've been dealing uh, with a lot uh, over the past many weeks and a couple of months here now. Uh, it was interesting. Um, uh, I was looking back uh, in the source of all knowledge uh, this week, uh, which was Wikipedia, and I was investigating to see, is what we're experiencing unique? I mean, uh, certainly it's unique for my lifetime. I remember as a child, uh, a uh, young, uh, young boy uh, uh, during the time of the polio flu epidemic, and uh, my mother wouldn't let me go to the, uh, to the movie to see Peter Pan, and I was very upset, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't go see Peter Pan. Uh, well, uh, we certainly have experienced a lot that we never expected would happen. We would never believe in a, you know, that our time and our day would be impacted uh, to the extent it has. Uh, But if you go back here, as I found here, that uh, we can go back to 1200 B.C. to Babylon, and there's evidence there. They found, archaeologists found that there was uh, an influenza epidemic even that far back. And we can go through the the years uh, since that time and, and see uh, major pandemics uh, across and around the world uh, that have killed millions of people. Uh, if you come up to 250 A.D., uh, we see there was a plague in Europe that killed over a million people. In 541, uh, there was 25 to 100 million people killed in West A- uh, that died in Europe and West Asia. 50% of the population. And you can go on and on and on and see these horrific events as they have occurred through time. And, of course, we hear a lot now about the influenza back in uh, 1918. Uh, That was the year my mother was born, and I'm surprised that she survived. But uh, at that time, it's estimated that as many as 20 to 70 million people around the world died. It's just something you can't imagine or, or put your you know, mind around. You can't you know, co- comprehend some of those figures. But yet, uh, here we are in this time. So I thought it was interesting 
this is an opportunity to look in God's Word, which is the source of real truth uh, uh, here, to look in God's Word and look at a passage of Scripture that uh, many of us uh, uh, know about, but uh, maybe we don't quite understand it. And I want to try and bring it into today's events and today's uh, perspective. We're going to look at uh, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, uh, you may know that uh, Jesus went into the wilderness and he spent 40 days fasting without food. I thought it was, there was some irony here because uh, I'd gone back and looked at the, you know, some of the news broadcasts where the announcers would give a certain day. This is day 10, this is day 12, this is day 15. Well, we happen to be today on day 41. So I just see some irony here that Jesus' experiences all occurred in the wilderness after 40 days. Okay? Uh, The text that we want to look at is in Matthew's account, and it's in Matthew uh, chapter 4. Uh, But I want us to take a moment here to kind of look back and and look and kind of move into this here and go back into uh, uh, the third chapter here uh, of that account. The title of our message this morning is Trust or Test. What I'm meaning, what I'm looking at here is do we trust God or do we test God? We'll look at that and talk about that here as we move forward here. Are we able to trust God or do we end up actually putting God to the test? Uh, Let's look in Matthew 3, uh, 13 to 17. It says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, John, he's really upset. He's really wicked out about this. You know, he's really disturbed. The disciple John tells us in his account uh, that John the Baptist referred to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John's saying, why in the world Does he want me to baptize him? He should be baptizing me here. Then we read this. But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that's a strange phrase to us, and oftentimes we read it and we just kind of gloss over it. But I want you to remember what Jesus says here. Because it's important, and I want you to kind of tuck it away in the back of your mind. And as we have time, I want to try and explain it uh, at a later uh, time here ahead. Let's read on. But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it this time and this way to be fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then Jesus, and then we are told here that uh, John permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. 
And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What a powerful event. What a powerful statement at that time. Now I want to ask another question. I want to ask you a question here. Do you believe that God loves Jesus? Is there any doubt in your mind that God the Father loves the Son? He said it right here. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that's very important as we come to the next verse in chapter 4. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? Now, wait a minute. Didn't I not just read, God said, this is my beloved son? Why in the world would God, the Holy Spirit, lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tested? I point this out because we have the tendency when we're faced with affliction to ask, wait a minute, I thought God loved me. I thought God would take care of me. Have I done something wrong? Have I sinned against God? What have I done to deserve this? I'm trying really hard to be good. I'm trying to, uh, very hard to please God. I go to church every Sunday. I tithe. I seek to be kind to others. What's wrong? But the problem here is often our tendency is to think, if my life is going well, I have plenty of food, I have nice clothes, I have a good job, I live in a nice house, I must be doing well with God. God is somehow rewarding me for being a good person. But if tragedy should strike, if I should be stricken with some illness or if I should lose my job, I might think, God must be angry at me. I must have sinned in some way. Remember back in Scripture, we read the story of Jesus and his disciples came upon a blind man. And they asked the question, they said, was this man born blind? (coughs) Was he born blind because of his own sin or because the sin of his parents? And Jesus said, no. Neither of those things. This man was born blind that God may be glorified. And we know that Jesus at that moment healed the blind man. But we may think, God must not really love me as I thought. Or maybe I'm not important to God as I thought. God is too busy to care about me. Where is God anyhow? God, why don't you answer my prayer? Why aren't you meeting my needs? Remember Israel when they were in the wilderness and they had no water and they had no food. They turned to Moses and they said, 
Did you bring us into the wilderness to die? That was the question that the Israelites asked Moses when they led him in the desert without food or water. Let's come back to our story. What we see here is, is that, as it says, after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take 40 days and 40 nights for me to become hungry. So we can't imagine the depths of what Jesus went through in that time. But in any case, verse 3, it says here, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. What was the temptation here? The temptations would be, if you are really God, prove it. Satan knew for full well that Jesus was God. But he was saying, prove it to me. Do what I say. Do what I command you to do. Be subservient to me. But we might really say, oh, I would never do that. Well, maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. But we may think it. We may become anxious. We become obsessed. We may even take the approach. If you are really God, if you really love me, answer my prayers. You promise to meet all of my needs. If you are who you say you are, you will answer my request. Prove it to me. We may try to manipulate God. Instead of trusting God, we test God. I remember a woman who said, I'm not going to believe in God anymore. I'm going to stop praying because God hasn't answered my prayer. She had a son who kept uh, getting into trouble because of his drug abuse, and she would try and do everything within her power to help him. And she would say, God, you haven't fixed my son. I'm going to walk away. I can't trust God. What a sad story. But sometimes we want to control God, don't we? Sometimes it's almost like we want him to be a a genie in a bottle. Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. We say to God, if you really love me, you will meet my needs the way I want you to. If you do not answer my prayers when I expect you to, you're not a God I can trust. How sad. I wonder if we all want this virus thing to be over with soon. I do. Why not? I don't know what I'm going to do. <clears throat> I love the story of Lazarus. Martha wanted Jesus to come early so that he might heal Lazarus. But Jesus came later that he might raise him from the dead, which is the greater experience. We want God to act now. But in his perfect plan, his answer may come later. Do we trust God or do we test God? Reading on in Matthew 4.4, 4, we see it says, But Jesus answered and said, 
whom it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 3. Remember the words of Moses. Moses said, be careful every uh, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promises on oath uh, to your est, uh, ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years. Incidentally, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness was a mirror of the 40 years that Israel spent wandering in the wilderness. He, <clears throat> Moses says, he did this to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Israel even went so far as to say, we want to go back to Egypt. We want the leeks and the onions of Egypt. They were going back into harsh slavery, but at least they had the assurance of food and water. But God had a better plan. He gave them something that they uh, had never had to eat before, and no one had to fix supper. We read on in Deuteronomy where, where Moses says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and uh, revering him. In other words, what he's saying is, Do what is right. Trust in God. Worship him. Follow him. Trust in him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land which, with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Moses is saying, trust God. As you go through this, he has so much more for you, you can't even imagine. You can't imagine his blessing to come. In Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 17, he goes on to say, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God. For the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dead, dreadful wilderness, the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock 
He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. Again, something that your ancestors had never known. But he says this, the reason he did it was to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. Think about this description that Moses is giving to the people. There's coming this time where you're going to have everything. You're going to be affluent. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to have all that you need. You, uh, you're going to have everything to eat. God is going to bless you beyond measure. But don't forget him. Don't turn away from him. Don't go off on your own. Let me ask you this. Do you know any place or person or civilization that has done that? I do. What about ours? What about our culture? What about our people? Have we come to a point in our relationship with God where we're, everything is so affluent, where we have everything we need, and when we don't need anything else, we don't need God. So when events come along, like we're experiencing now, do we trust God? Or do we turn around and say, God, do you really love me? What's wrong? What's wrong with you? And we test him. The interesting thing about testing is, as much as we may not like it, it does about, well, so it does several things, but I'm going to quickly list four of them here. First of all, when we're tested, it builds us confidence in God. We see God's faithfulness. We see God's acting. We see God's provision. We see what's going on, and we see God working in our midst. The second one is testing strengthens us. It strengthens our faith, our endurance. I love the verse of Scripture in Isaiah 40, 31 about waiting on the Lord. It says, when we wait on the Lord, we will mount up with wings like eagles. Waiting on the Lord takes trust. Waiting on the Lord takes faith. Waiting on the Lord means committing ourselves to him and his plan for us. The third one is, is that <clears throat> testing causes us to pause, refocus, and ask serious questions. Examine ourselves and consider who we are and affirm God's call upon our life. I don't know about you, but in this time, I've recognized some things about myself. One is I've recognized the importance of prayer. You know, rather ask ourselves, do we really need to watch all the movies on Netflix? Or do we use this time to draw closer to God? Do we use this time to listen, to hear from him, 
Do we use this time here to understand what he is asking us to do? I just think of some simple things like, what would happen if we just took the time to make a telephone call to our neighbors and say to our neighbors in this time, you know, in the midst of all this, how can I pray for you? I'm a Christian. How can I pray for you? Have, have we ever really done this? Or how often have we done this? Or maybe we fix a meal and take it and leave it over on their doorstep and say, you know, I just want to give you this. I just want to bless you. What are the opportunities that are out there? What is God calling us to do? And finally, the last one is, is that testing can actually bring peace of mind. As we go through these events, as we see God act, we find, yes, I really can trust God. Yes, God really is working in my midst and in our midst. Yes, God is faithful. Let's go on to the second temptation here. Matthew 4, 5 to 7 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Hmm. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The temptation here is to presume upon God. Some of you may know who the person of Rich Mullins is. He's the writer of a song, which is one of my favorites, which is Awesome God. You know, I'm, I'm trying to tell this story because it's a sad story. Not to be critical of him, but to look at an idea or an attitude. Rich Mullins, at 41, was killed in a traffic accident on September 1st, 1997 in Illinois. He was en route to a benefit concert in Wichita, Kansas, where he lived. If you don't know who he is, he was an extremely popular singer and Christian songwriter. You're probably more familiar with his uh, songs, Awesome God, as I mentioned. I remember hearing a report of his death. The announcer said he and a friend were riding in a Jeep and were thrown from the vehicle when it went out of control because neither of them were wearing seatbelts. Rich Mullins was then struck and killed by a trailer truck that was following behind them. Uh, uh, and it was added, the announcer added, that he did not believe it was necessary to wear seatbelts. He believed that God would protect him, and he didn't need to. Twenty years after the event, a writer wrote the following for those who are interested, I have written some thoughts on the life and legacy of Christian musician, writer, wise guy, and unofficial saint, Rich Mullins. As I write this late at night, 
It was 20 years ago this night that his life abruptly ended in a car crash. Later it came out that neither he nor his passenger were wearing a seatbelt, a boneheaded thing, but as those who knew him could have told you, it was typical of Rich's particular brand of boneheadedness. Most of the time, it just made him a little weird and iconoclastic. This time, it cost him his life. A lot of people he touched are pretty sore about that, including me. Do we presume upon God? I also knew a young girl uh, who I had met early on as a young Christian, and she herself was new in her faith, and she was diabetic. And so she, you know, of course, was excited and you know, was, had great excitement. And her thought was, oh, I can go off my insulin. All I have to do is trust God. Well, the sad thing was is that she did that and went into a diabetic coma. But in God, God in his mercy, uh, this happened when her roommate was present, and they called 911, and the ambulance came and took her to the hospital. And she was afterwards you know, very discouraged, and she was very embarrassed about all that had happened. I took a moment, and I said, look, you're trying to find out who God is. You're trying to learn about your relationship with him. Don't worry about this. God understands, and he protected you. We just don't presume upon God. There are times God tells us to do things, sure. But we don't say, I'm going to do this or do something, and then just presume upon God to bless, uh, bless it or to take care of us. You know, we can think of a lot of churches and circumstances where decisions are made and then we turn around and there's no planning or no forethought to it. And what happens is, is then we somehow expect God to bless it. Dr. Benjamin told me a story about a church in this time that had, if I recall correctly, about 100 um, members of a choir. And they gathered together and they were going to rehearse regardless of what was going on. And it turned out, I think it was about 60 of the members came down with the COVID virus. We're trying to make decisions here. We're trying to live life. We're trying to be obedient to God in all that we're dealing with. We're trying to trust in him. But we have to be careful that we don't presume upon God. Jesus says, I will not tr- you should not trust the Lord your God. So are, you should not tempt, I'm sorry, you should not test the Lord your God. Are we trusting God or are we testing God? Finally, the third temptation here, we read in Matthew 4, 8 to 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you 
He said, if you will bow down and worship me. The temptation for Jesus was to avoid the cross. God the Father was to give Jesus all the nations of the world, but his plan involved going to the cross. Satan said, I'll make it easy for you. No cross involved at all. I'll give you the world if you just bow down and worship me. No pain, no death, no torture. Just bow down and worship me. But Jesus had to trust God. Let me tell you something. Maybe you haven't thought about this. But Jesus had to trust God the Father that he would raise him from the dead. Let me say that again. Jesus, in his obedience to God, had to trust that God and the Father, in fact, would raise him from the dead. We don't think of that, do we? But it's true. He had to trust him. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead. Our temptation is to live apart from God, to give up on God, to turn away from God. In this time, we have a choice to make. Are we willing to trust God in all things? Are we willing to live for him and for him only? Jesus said to Satan, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Let me close with these words. Jesus calls upon us in this passage to remember our relationship, to where our focus is, to tell us his plan for us, for our obedience in following him, for us to trust him no matter what it is. And I mentioned earlier about <clears throat> the importance of, of Jesus' statements to John. It, this description of Jesus' encounter with Satan is not just an example that we are to follow. Yes, it's important to recognize temptation when it comes. It's important to examine how we understand all that we are going through and where God is in the midst of it and what we are to learn from it. But there's more. We are told that Jesus was tempted in all ways, even as we are tempted. Jesus said to John when he wanted to baptize him, he said, it is necessary that we fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't come just to, just to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus came to live that life, that perfect life that we didn't and couldn't live. So what Jesus did was he was having John baptize us. 
the sinless Son of God said, Baptize me for the sins of mankind. Baptize me as I stand in the place of all who will believe in me. I will be baptized to fulfill the law and the prophets. And when Jesus went into the wilderness, his battle with Satan was not just a battle between him and Satan because he was living out and responding to the temptations in our place. Andy Stanley, in teaching on this material, made the comment that those temptations are a mirror or a a collection of all the temptations that we as mankind face. I didn't study that or go into it that deeply, but I believe that could be true. But in any case, he stood against Satan where we have not. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. Remember we said that building, uh, testing builds confidence in God. It strengthens us. It causes us to pause and reflect and ask serious questions and to examine ourselves and consider who we are and God's call upon us. And finally, it can actually bring peace of mind. When we look at the suffering of the world, sometimes people often ask why. Does God really know? Does God really care? John Stott, a famous Christian writer, back in the uh, early 80s, wrote a book called The Cross of Christ. And in it, he tells a, a playlet about a playlet, a short play called The Silence. And this is a summary of the play. It says, At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked, um, front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering, snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattoo number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. Another group, a young Negro boy, lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime but being black. Another cried, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes, said, why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain, there were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in this world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred? What did God know about all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups set forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most, 
a Jew, a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed, arthritic, a thalidomide child. In the center of the plane, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God, he could be qualified to be their judge. He must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Be tried by a prejudiced jury and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At the last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die. Let him die so that there can be no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. And when the last and, 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 when the last and finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. For suddenly, all knew that God had already served his sentence. Can we trust God? Are we willing to follow him? Whatever he has, whatever the circumstances that lie here. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.